morning as we come to uh, the preaching of the Word, which is part of our worship service uh, every Sunday, we'll be looking uh, at uh, God's Word from Leviticus chapter 10. Now, don't be surprised that there's a book in the Bible called Leviticus. It's not one that we often turn to, but it's the third book of the Bible, um, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 10. And uh, we'll hear from God's uh, Word from Leviticus chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and, all, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Ezlophan, the sons of Uzel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithmar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose. Do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning, the burning that the Lord has, kill, has kindled. And do not go outside to the entrance of the tent of meetings, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Let us pray. O oh Lord, this is your word, and it's a sober passage. It's a passage that reminds us of your holiness and our sin, and points us, leads us to grace in Christ. We come to you as your people who need you to illuminate our hearts, open our minds that we might see Jesus, the Holy One of Israel. We pray in his name. Amen. So this passage is a difficult and challenging passage to think through. It's not a happy, make-you-feel-good kind of story. It's a tragic story. Aaron's sons were disobedient. And God judged them by killing them. Can you imagine how Aaron and his family must have felt? Why did God have to strike them down? And what in the world can this passage have to do with us today? Let me give you just a little broader context. Leviticus, as I said earlier, is the third book of the Pentateuch, or the Law of God. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was composed by Moses. And you probably remember the Israelites had gone into Egypt because there was a great famine in the land. This is the story of Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis. God's people stayed in, in Egypt and grew in number. And the Egyptians feared Israel, that they would turn on them, attack them, and um, be overwhelmed by them. And so they made them slaves and treated them harshly. God raised up Moses to deliver his people from the bondage of the Egyptians, and God's people were given the law covenant through Moses in Exodus chapter 20. 
God instructed Moses to lead his people in making the tabernacle, and God himself chose his priests to serve in the tabernacle. He chose Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and Aaron's other sons. The book of Exodus ends with God's glory, the Lord's glory filling the tabernacle. The tabernacle was God's enduring presence right in the middle of all the people who camped around it. Tabernacle literally means residence or dwelling place. So the book of Leviticus continues the story of God graciously descending to be with his people. God was with his people. He dwelt among his people. And he graciously gave his people the standard of holiness that he required. The standard was not only for the people of Israel, but for the priests from the tribe of Levi, Aaron being the high priest. The purpose of this book is that Israel ought to comply with God's regulations of holiness. Keep this in mind. The entire book of Leviticus is God giving his standard, his way, his prescription for holiness, especially in worship, to his covenant people, the church. The Lord God says, you, my people, be holy, for I am holy. He says this throughout the book of Leviticus, a number of passages in the Bible as well, but from chapter 11, 19, 20, and 23, he says, be holy, for I am holy. God's covenant people have covenant obligations. These are them, especially regarding these ceremonial laws on worship, the role of the Old Testament tabernacle, priests, sacrifices, etc. Leviticus 1 through 7 deals with the laws on sacrifice, and chapters 8 through 10 deals with the institution of the priesthood. In chapter 8 and 9, we see God's blessing on the priesthood, for they follow God's commands, precisely. But in chapter 10, we see God's judgment for the priests offer a fire that is contrary to God's commands. The historical record of Nadab and Abihu was to remind the people of how to treat God, both in approach and in standard. They were to treat God as He is, which is holy. But how are we to view the book of Leviticus today? Well, it's the foundation for sacrifices which point us to Christ. It is the foundation for the shedding of blood which points us to Christ. It is the foundation for the high priest who obviously points us to Christ as the great high priest. God demands holiness which is provided for us through Christ. Also talks much about God's character who is holy. And there is no sin in the Holy One of Israel. And Peter, in the New Testament, teaches us that we, the body of Christ, are a priesthood of believers. He says this in 1 Peter 2, You also, like living stones, are being built into spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Maybe more than anything else, we see God's holiness clearly in this book. The word holy or a similar phrase to holiness is used 152 times in the book of Leviticus. That's 20% of all the times it's used in the Old Testament. 
So this morning we'll focus on God's character of holiness and our response to Him. First, let's, let's think through this. Because God is holy, number one, because God is holy, we must have a holy approach to worship. Because God is holy, we must have a holy approach to worship. Suppose the governor of South Carolina, Henry McMaster, calls you tomorrow and asks you to come to his office on Friday, and he wants to discuss with you and your family what is life like in South Carolina. The whole family would be praying for that day to come. Dad would certainly make up questions that the governor might ask for the children to answer and quiz everyone. Mom would keep everyone on a tight schedule so they wouldn't be exhausted for the trip. Dad and the guys would go get a haircut. Mom and the girls would coordinate outfits. The family would reschedule everything so because that day would be now top priority. But why would family go through all this to go and visit Columbia, South Carolina and sit before the governor? The governor has called. It's the office of the governor that is worthy of honor and respect. You would certainly approach the governor in a different way, in an honorable way, in a way which is set apart, which is with honor and respect. Moses, while tending sheep, saw a burning bush. And as he approached, the Lord called him and said, Do not come any closer. Moses didn't recognize that he was in the presence of God. The Lord commanded, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Moses didn't respect the presence of the Lord. Moses couldn't just stroll up to God in any old way that he wanted to. The ground was holy because God's presence was there, and Moses was commanded to act differently, to approach God as holy. So God spoke, Moses had his face before God. Our approach to the Lord must be just as the Lord commanded. As I mentioned earlier, Leviticus 8, chapters 8 through 10 deal with the office of priests. In, this, in these chapters, the phrase, just as the Lord commanded, occurs 17 times. Why? The priests were to minister in accord, in accord with God's commands. They were not to approach God as they wished or as they deemed appropriate. They, if they did, there could be a horrible consequence to their sin. Isn't it always a temptation for us to live the way we want to, to worship God the way that we want to? The priests were to approach God in a holy manner, to serve as an example, to remind the people that the only way to approach God is God's way. The priests were to show the people the one way to God, the one way to worship, the one way to be in His presence. And that one way approach is through the high priest. The high priest in the book of Leviticus points us to the way, the truth, and the life, to Jesus Christ Himself. Our Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism, number 25, says this, Christ executes the office of priests and is once offering of Himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God and making consistent in, in, uh, intercession for us. Uh, the book of Leviticus is so beautiful to read and see that as the people, God's people in those days were looking forward to Christ, so we now look back to Christ and His once for all satisfying sacrifice of Himself. Nadab and Abihu were Aaron's two oldest sons. 
They had been with their father and Moses on Mount Sinai. They were just ordained as priests, and we would expect them to be doing priestly work. So they took, they put, they placed, they offered incense. They were doing God's work and making a holy people. Then their approach to God was not as he commanded. It was strange fire, according to verse 1. It was strange, according to the text, because it was contrary to God's command. So we've seen first that uh, we must have a holy approach because God is holy. And now we see secondly, because God is holy, we must have a holy standard for worship. What was the sin of Nadab and Abihu? What, what is it that, that they did that was so wrong? What made the fire strange? Well, incense was made up of spices. I, I think of it like our potpourri today. And these spices were vaporized by putting them on a censer. A censer is a small ladle or shovel used for carrying glowing hot coals on fire. According to God's regulations, these coals were to be taken directly from the altar. Were the coals used taken from common fire? What made the fire so strange? Was it because they overstepped their bounds and took the place and role of the high priest instead of their role? Or perhaps yet was the sacrifice offered at the wrong time? Here, I think, is the answer. Their offense, whatever it was, was unauthorized. Nadab and Abihu had not set apart the Lord in their hearts, but had given a self-willed offering It is in this respect that they offered strange fire before the Lord. They presumed that they could worship God their way, and they were wrong. They acted carelessly, and they acted with irreverence, and they acted without trusting the word of the Lord. But why did God act with such severe consequence? It was their first day of priestly administration. Nadab and Abihu's actions were a dangerous pattern for others to follow. It was a precedent that could not be imitated. We do this today sometimes uh, in school. Perhaps you're a teacher and it's the first day of class. Uh, you've got Johnny and Susan just chatting away and they're disrupting class. And so what do we do? Uh, we set an example uh, by uh, the consequences that are given to Johnny and Susan who are disrupting the class. They're sent to the office or whatever the protocol is nowadays. And so we, so we recognize that uh, this, this punishment, this discipline from God, it is severe. And we recognize that uh, sometimes severe discipline is needed. So it's obvious that Nadab and Abihu's actions are not to be followed. God clearly shows his divine displeasure in the death of Nadab and Abihu. And it was a reminder that we should not worship God our way, but worship God by his holy standard, as commanded in his word. We must worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with reverence and with all. Why? He is holy. There is no sin, no impurity, no corruption in God. And when we stop to think about this, we realize the gravity of our sin. And we, we must say with Isaiah, as David has already said, Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. You know, not following directions can have terrible consequence. The toy you put together on Christmas Eve may not work if you don't follow the instructions. 
The recipe for Thanksgiving Day may be a flop if you don't follow the, the directions. In an issue of Meat and Poultry magazine, editors quoted the following story. It seems the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration has a unique device for testing the strength of windshields on airplanes. The device is a gun that launches a dead chicken at a plane's windshield at approximately the speed the plane flies. The theory is that if the windshield doesn't crack from the carcass impact, it'll survive a real collision with a bird during flight. Seems the British were very interested in this and wanted to test a windshield on their brand new speedy locomotive that they were developing. They borrowed the FAA's chicken launcher, loaded the chicken and fired. The ballistic uh, chicken shattered the windshield, went through the engineer's chair, broke, an broke into the instrument panel and it was embedded into the back of the engine cab. The British were stunned and asked the FAA to recheck the test to see if everything was done correctly. The FAA reviewed the test thoroughly and had one correction. Use a thawed chicken. <laughs> there can be severe consequences to not following God's directions for worship as well. Look at with, look with verse 2 with me. Chapter 10, verse 2, So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Flip back to chapter 9, verse 24. 9, 24. Look at this verse with me, and the exact same phrase is used here, but with a different outcome. 9, 24. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portion on the altar. What's the difference? The first time in chapter 9, the fire was proof of God's blessing. We see this at the end of verse 24. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. How did Aaron respond to the fire in chapter 10? He was silent before the Lord. He kept his peace. So in chapter 9, the sacrifices were offered to God in God's way, and the Lord consumed the offering with fire of joy. But in chapter 10, not following God's prescription for worship brought fire of judgment. Let's say you go to the heart doctor and you get good news and you get bad news. The good news is that your heart's still beating, but the bad news is that you need to take several medications. When the doctor prescribes your medication for your heart and that prescription says that you're to take this pill at a certain time every day with or without food, won't you do everything that you possibly could to, to follow those directions as closely and as, um, as precisely as possible? It, it's really a life and death matter. And so you're not just going to say, well, I'm just going to take it whenever I want to, or after all, I don't want to take too many pills, or maybe I'll just take all seven at the same time so I don't have to remember to take them later on in the week. If you're doing that with your heart medication, let's, let's just stop that now. Um, and if you're worshiping God your own way, then we've got to stop. We've got to come back to his word and say, what is it that God requires of our worship? Judgment from holy God came upon Nadab and Abihu for their offering was contrary to God's command. 
This is clarified in verse 10, uh, 10, chapter 10, verse 3. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself as holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Again, here's the theme throughout uh, the entire book of Leviticus. The holiness of God and his standard required by his people. The entire nation was called to be holy, especially the priests whose job was to teach the word and minister the, the sacraments and uh, offer sacrifices and offerings for the people. One commentator said concerning this passage, if we reflect on how holy a thing God's worship is, the enormity of the punishment will by no means offend us. God screams to his people in the story of Nadab and Abihu, your way of worshiping me must be my way. Did you know that God expects the same for us today? In Hebrews 12, 14, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We as the priesthood of believers must honor the Lord with our worship. It can't be our way. How are we perhaps in today's church world in danger of offering strange fire? Today, man-centered worship might be an intellectual exercise only. Today, man-centered worship might be an intellectual exercise only. This is evident when I hear people say, well, I'm not good at singing, so I'm just going to come for the preaching. Man-centered worship might be an emotional experience. If there's no emotional and it's just dry and ho-hum and then it's meaningless. Or man-centered worship might have its focus set on community only. I'm, I'm there for the warm family gathering at church. Or man-centered worship might be focused on welcoming visitors and seekers only. Or man-centered worshiper might, might be focused on uh, as a, a large group psychological counseling session. Well, these things in and of themselves aren't terrible, but when any of these become the exalted way of worship, we have gone astray. Our worship of God must be according to God's standard to the very last detail. Look with me at verses 4 through 7 of Leviticus chapter 10. Verses 4 through 7. Just, we'll, we'll look through these. We see that the proper pattern of obedience is immediately established in verse 4. The command is given to the cousins to remove the dead bodies of Nadab and Abihu. In verse 5, we see their quick obedience. In verse 6, and part of verse 7, we see God's command to Aaron and his remaining sons not to mourn the death of Nadab and Abihu. At the end of verse 7, we see their quick obedience. Aaron and his sons were forbidden to mourn in order to show complete submission to God's judgment. By not mourning, they would be finding no fault with God for his judgment. They could not condone Nadab and Abihu's sins in any way. 
The priests of God were to be completely dedicated to God's service, and thus they were not allowed to leave the tabernacle. The family was permitted to mourn and attend the funeral, but Aaron and his sons were not. The bodies of Nadab and Abihu would have been taken outside of the camp, laid to rest with the rest of the useless parts of uh, the dead animals, sacrificial animals. Because God is holy, we must honor him to the very last detail he gives to us. Let me give you two examples One, the, from uh, uh, the, uh, the Ten Commandments, the first two commandments. The first and second commandments from Exodus chapter 20 are clear on whom and how God wants to be worshipped. God alone is to be worshipped, and he must be worshipped not through idols. That's commandment number two. Idol worship of God contradicts his character. He is spirit, and we must worship in spirit and in truth. Our God insists that we do not worship Him as the pagans worship their false gods. We're to worship in and through the Word, not images. Because God is a jealous God, He refuses to share His glory that is due Him with any of creation, golden or otherwise. Jesus' teaching in the, to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 makes it obvious on how to worship is vital to His followers. The place of worship is not important. But because God is spirit and where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is also, we recognize that worship is uh, very important in this conversation with uh, the woman at the well. Jesus teaches that worship is a response to God's revelation and must be regulated by his word. Jesus teaches the only thing that God seeks after in all of creation is a community of worshipers that worship Him in spirit and in truth, not one without the other. The worship of God that God seeks is neither conjured by our imagination nor driven by our preference. Worship is not seeker-sensitive, it is God-sensitive. Worship is not man-centered, it is Christ-centered. If you give a gift to someone, give a gift that he or she will like. Would you ever think of giving a friend who is allergic to peanuts a Snickers bar, which is packed full of peanuts? Or for the friend who hates surprises, would you ever consider establishing or creating or making a, a great surprise birthday party for this person? A good gift giver will always consider the receiver of the gift. The receiver, not the giver, regulates true gift giving. This principle of giving applies to the greatest giving of Christ's community, which is worship. God has called us to worship and honor Him in His way. We must recognize that this will never happen apart from Jesus Christ, the sinless great high priest. Jesus takes man-centered idol worshipers and redeems them making them worshipers who love to worship in spirit and in truth. In Christ, we need not fear the fire of judgment, but we in Christ can expect the fire of joy. Let us pray. Our Father, as we have seen in your word this morning, and as we have sung this morning, that you are holy. You are the most holy. You are without sin. Lord Jesus, you being without sin came to this earth 
offered yourself upon the cross where you died and by your blood washed all those who believe. Not only died, but you have risen from the dead. And so this morning, we, we don't worship a dead Savior. We worship the one true living Savior, you, Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege and honor it is to do that through your word and by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. We pray that as we go to the table this morning, that you would be honored and glorified, and that you would continue to be with us, your people, that you would tabernacle among us for your grace and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.